Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Continuing through um, the year of the Bible, we jumped in it in March. We, we took off in it. We wanted to see what is the message of God from Genesis to Revelation. Most times we, we jump into one book and we think, and we take that isolated situation or even promise and we apply it to the rest of the Bible and we end up creating weird theology and doctrines that do not don't align us with the heart of God. And so we said, listen, we before we we go and tell the world about the Bible, before we actually say, oh, the world needs the Bible, how about this? The church should understand what's in the Bible. And so we want we we've been walking through this, we want to know God's heart. And so today as, we've, as we walk through, if you haven't downloaded the app, let me encourage you to do that. Download it. We're on um, week, I think it's uh, um, installment number eight. And so you can jump in at any time. There's devotions and reading. And so we're following along. It, and then on every Sunday, I'm going to be preaching from one of the passages that was in that week. So today, I'm sharing a message from the Bible that's rarely mentioned. It's rarely mentioned in context. It's rarely mentioned out of context. It is a, it's an interesting even a strange book. But the book is about faithfulness and the book is about marriage. And there's a reason that vows are exchanged during weddings. I have the privilege of doing weddings. The vows are really what it's all about. Yes, dresses are nice. Yes, boutonnieres are nice. Yes, tuxes are nice. But what really matters is the vows that are exchanged the promises that are made, the covenant that is made at that moment, at that altar, that's what it's really about. And so at these weddings, we know that there was an exchange, that you would forsake all others. At these weddings, I lead people through the vows of something like this, repeat after me, I will, I will love you for better or for worse, and they will say that to one another. As long as we both shall live for the rest of our lives. The words, the covenant, and the, found, and it, the, the faithfulness, all this, it's the foundation of marriage. And the truth is, marital faithfulness is not automatic. You can't guarantee it. When you get married, you are at the mercy of the goodness of your spouse. It's not guaranteed. Married couples, every day, make decisions to say yes to their spouse and to say no to any other person. Say no to giving any other person or receiving from any other person. Emotional or mental or physical affection. All those are to be kept and to be met only for and by your spouse. That's the covenant that you make. And the Bible's very clear about marriage. It values it. it is a, it's a significant thing. But there is one book in the Bible that is, that is the whole theme of the whole thing is marriage. There is this theme, though, in the book we're going to be in today. It's about the infidelity of a wife and the faithfulness of a husband. And this is the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet of God. 
He was called by God. He's been chosen by God to speak to God on behalf of God's people. But many times prophets of the Old Testament not only spoke for God, their lives were, were like a, um, a sermon illustration. It was like a type and a shadow of what God was like. And so they were asked to do physical things that represented God's heart. And this happens in the book of Hosea. But for Hosea, his life has been chosen by God. He is an example to the people of what God is like. And he was a man, but he was a man of God. And so for the prophet Hosea, as we get into this, if you're, if you're sensitive, this is a sad book. You're going to feel some emotions. You're going you're to actually feel your heart ache. But Hosea, in this book, in spite of his unfaithful wife, he stood true to his commitment to her. And he did this as, a, as an illustration of God standing true with his people, even when they were unfaithful. And for God, the nation of Israel was his adulterous wife. But I want you to know something, we're actually found in the book of Hosea. But God had made a covenant with Israel. He made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai, he asked them to be faithful to him and to him alone. And they said, yes, God. But even, in the, even at the marriage ceremony on Mount Sinai, there was, some, there was some shadows of some unfaithfulness. And God blessed the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. They left Egypt. They took their gold. They took silver. They left, blessed them. He protected them. He had a marriage ceremony at Mount Sinai that he made a covenant with them and they made a covenant with, with him. They verbalized it. And he brought them into the promised land. They received provision of God. They they, everything about their life was provided by God. And as they reaped the blessings of God, instead of giving those back to God, this is what the children of Israel did. They used those things. They used the wood. They used the gold. They used the silver. They used the grain. They used the animals. Instead of to worship God, they, been, they then turned and began to worship other gods, particularly the God of Baal. It's a nasty condition. This is the environment, this is the atmosphere, this is the condition that God calls Hosea. I don't think Hosea applied for this pastoral position. Like you do in an interview, hey, can you tell me a little bit about the church? You know, if I'm considering being, coming on staff and well, everyone's gonna hate you. Nobody actually loves God, actually, they worship another God. How's that feel? I think I'll pass. But Israel had sunk to the lowest place. They were split by civil war. There were tribes in the north, there were tribes in the south, and Hosea, Hosea gives us actually a timeline of when he existed, when he was the prophet, and he was the prophet to the north. King Jeroboam, it says, uh, Hosea 1.1 says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. That's just to give us a reference of time. And so Hosea was the prophet to the north. 
And this nation of Israel, I want you to just think about their purpose. They were to be an example for the other nations. The other nations that rebelled against God. The other nations that, that said, we don't want you, God. And God said, okay, I'm going to assign the sons of God over you to watch over you. Those sons of God rebelled from God. And then the people that they were supposed to watch over on behalf of Yahweh, they allowed them to worship these angelic beings and the angelic beings received them. And, they, and so they had just rebelled and God's own angelic host, many of them rebelled against him. And now, but God in the midst of that said, man, I love the nations. I love the people of the world. I created, they're all from the line of Adam and Eve. I love them. And so he says, I've got to find a way to save them. And so he calls himself a man named Abraham, and he sets him aside. And from Abraham's seed comes the Jews. They are placed in a nation, and they're to be an example to say, hey, nations, look, when you worship the one true God, this is what your life looks like. It's, it's to provoke jealousy from, the, from the, the rest of the nations to go, wow, what's different about you? And you're like, well, we actually worship the one true God, and you worship that lousy pansy God of yours. And you, they go, oh, let's worship yours. But they weren't that. When the rest of the nations looked at the nation of Israel, it was like, you're no different than us. Very sim there's a lot of similarities to today when you look at the church and you look at the world and you go, what's the difference? Many times you say, nothing. But this is what's going on in the nation of Israel. The time is a time of rebellion, chaos, bloodshed, spiritual darkness. King Jeroboam's son ascends to the, to the throne and he's murdered six months after he takes the throne. The one who killed him sat on the throne and one month after that he was murdered. It was absolute anarchy. And so in the times of rebellion and no order, no law, no love for God, spiritual darkness, murder. The prophet Hosea is like, it's my turn to be the prophet. He's the preacher in the midst of that environment. Not exciting at all. Lonely. And he was appointed the preacher of the hour to the people that had no concern about what he was going to say. And he knew it. And he was a prophet in the midst of a society in which the morality had totally crumbled. As you read through the book of Hosea, as you look into the historic reality of the environment, the home life within Israel had corroded. It was corrupted by Baal, corrupted by demonic spirits, corrupted by society and culture. Mothers and fathers no longer lived out of their biblical role. Children were left to discover life on their own. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, you can do that. They were left to come to their own conclusions about what they wanted to do, how they wanted to live. This is a dark place. And God begins to speak through Hosea. And he lays out actually what's wrong. So God uses Hosea to be a voice to tell the, these people that God still actually loves. This is what's wrong. 
And so he describes the lives and the hearts of the people who were unfaithful to him. Verse one, he says, hear the words of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Well, why? Why was there a controversy? Why did God have something against them? Goes on to say, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, there's lying, there's murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds. In other words, there is no restrictions on their flesh. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns. And then, then God goes on to even speak clearer. Now remember, Israel was to be faithful to God. He made the covenant at the Mount Sinai. And so he says, verse 11, whoredom, wine, and new wine has taken away your understanding. Verse 12, my people ask a piece of wood about their, about their life. The wood that I gave them, now they make idols and they worship them. And their walking staffs give, give them oracles. So you're looking for direction about your life from stuff that can't even give it to you. But you're looking for it and I'm right here all the time. I thought we had a covenant. I, I thought you said you would be faithful to me. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray. It is such a sharp word. And they have left their God to play the whore. Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, has joined to idols. In other words, you lay in bed with idols. You've joined your life with a demonic idol. Verse 18, when their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. This is a culture that's built on that which is wrong is celebrated and called right. And that which is right it's called wrong. To make things even worse, the priests of the day that were supposed to minister to people or minister to God on behalf of people, they were supposed to lead God's people into truth and closer to God. These priests of these days misrepresented God and his word. They made sin acceptable and justification for sin they actually said it was actually, it's not sin. It's a righteous thing to do. They probably said things like this. Love is love. That which God spoke in his word that his people were not to participate in. These priests said, actually, you, in order to please God, you should participate in what? God used to call sin. Now you should do that. And when you do that, it's worship to God. You should sin. And from that sin, it brings glory to God. It was backwards. Now the temple has prostitutes in it. 
And as you go to worship God, you engage with a prostitute. And that's how you worship God. Talk about filthy. And these women are called holy, the women, the, the temple prostitutes. Throughout the book, God says to these people, you are arrogant, you are rank, you are stubborn, you are ignorant, you are filthy. I tell you what, if I was God, I'd be like, I think I'm just going to move on from these folks. Verse 2 in chapter 13 says, they sin more and more and make for themselves Metal images, more idols. Now listen, I don't mean to belabor this point, but I want you to understand the conditions and the atmosphere that Hosea, the man of God, the prophet of God is called to go into. This is what he's called to deal with. And so this man, Hosea, is called to stand for God in the midst of all of this, and he's called to do it. Hosea is like a gleaming light positioned against the backdrop of the darkest of dark. And he is to shine like light in the midst of a very dark and filthy situation. Hosea's name means helper. It means deliverer. And I can just imagine as he steps into this environment, says, I got nothing this is too overwhelming. This is the environment. And then in the midst of that call, God tells Hosea as his prophet to do something. It's shocking when you read it. But this is what God tells Hosea. He says, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Lord said to, says to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom. Now, it doesn't say, we don't know if this woman slept around before she got married, but what we do know, there were tendencies afterwards. Then God says, have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom for forsaking the Lord. So look, he went and he took Gomer as his wife. And she conceived and bore him a son. And they have other children as well. After hearing all this, how many here want to be a prophet? Go ahead, just raise your hand. Any, okay, any takers? <laughs> and once you get to chapter 2, you see Hosea's wife stepping into infidelity. It's, it's incredibly real. You can feel the pain. You can feel the darkness. You can feel the betrayal. She's leaving home. She's sleeping around with other men. She's giving herself to other men. She's getting her needs met outside of her own husband. She has no concern for God, for the family. She has no concern for her role as a wife or a mother. She has no concern for her husband's reputation. She doesn't give a rip. She is living her life as she pleases, just like everybody else except for Hosea. Think about the prophet of God for a moment. From day to day, he wakes up. He's got to, I guess, make breakfast for his kids. He's got to take care of the home. He doesn't know where his wife is. His heart's being crushed. 
Kids are saying, where's mom? There's confusion. There's betrayal. This is weighty. He's a prophet, but he's a man. He's not going through this, exper this experience with no sense of pain or hurt. He's not a robot. He's a man. And at this point, Hosea has every right to divorce her. Let her go her own way. Let her burn on the, on the, on the, the bed of fire she, she, she made and she's let on, set on fire. Let her burn on it. And we know if he did that, it would only, she would continue to do it. It would only lead to abuse and pain and depravity. It would, she would be valueless. She would become ultimately a slave and empty. And so he could divorce her. But God speaks to him a second time. I want you to look at what God asked him to do. Go again. Go again. Love a woman, speaking of Gomer, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn, look at this, look. Though, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. In other words, they're, they're getting their needs met at these, at these other temples of gods that serve different types of foods to signify and connect them to the gods that they're worshiping. Even though they turn, just like she turns and gets her needs met by other men instead of you. And so Hosea says, I bought her. So he went and found her and he bought her for 15 shekels of silver and it's about three bushels and three bushels of barley. I want you to hear, hear this. He took his own money. He could have given it to the kids. He could have given it to the household. He, could have, he, took, he, he got his own silver, his own barley at the cost of himself. And he goes and he finds her and he purchases her, purchases her. Why would God have him do this? This just seems so cruel. Hosea is a prophet. And Hosea is called by God to model the message of God to the people that God loves. This, this is a love and a compassion I don't understand. He's called to model God's love to people that despise God. To people who hold out both hands and both middle fingers in the face of God while they defile the temple that was set aside to minister to them. They openly worship idols, openly defile everything about what God has called them to be. And they grin and smile while they do it. In the face of God, they mock God. Hosea has love in his heart. He's a man. A man who wants to love and a man who wants to be loved back. He's got a family, he's got, and that love's valuable. 
Hosea deserves to be loved. That love that he has in his heart as a man of God, it, it's so valuable. He, it, that could bless someone else's life who wants to be loved. And God asked him to take that love and to use that love towards someone that by all means and all purposes should be despised. And so he, he says, I will, I'll go find her. Hosea 3.1 says, go again and love the woman. So he goes and he finds her. Again, he uses his own money and he, listen, he buys her back. She had enslaved herself. She had indebted herself to other men. They owned her now. And now he goes and he buys her from slavery. Brings her back into his home, back into his family. Puts her around the children. And when I look at Hosea, I, I think the use of his love towards Gomer, I, I can think this as a man. It seems reckless. It seems out of place. Why would you do that? Why would you give your pure and holy righteous love to someone who doesn't deserve it, doesn't, like, doesn't even want it? It's reckless. It's a mis misuse of his affection, his commitment, his emotions. From someone who is pure and holy and righteous and godly and continue to give themselves to someone who is completely the opposite. It seems like a waste. It seems inappropriate. And what God told Hosea to do with Gomer is what God was going to do with Israel. God had every right to divorce Israel. But because of his love, his compassion, his faithfulness, this is what God does. He actually renews his covenant with her. But it's actually much bigger than that. And so God, this is a, this is a shadowing, this is a, a type and a shadow, a futuring of what God's going to do with the nation of Israel through Hosea's life. But there's going to be consequences for their rebellion, just like there was for Gomer. Suffered great pain. Even when God is speaking to Hosea about Gomer, he says, I'm going to place a hedge of thorns. That's where we you get that term a lot in Christianity. I'm going to pray a hedge of thorns or a hedge of protection or whatever. But we, we say this, I'm going to place a hedge of thorns around her. Well, that's kind of weird. But what that means is this, in, everywhere that she would turn to get her needs met, that is outside of her husband, Hosea, it would cause her pain. So she would turn to this, this man and and, but it would be painful. She would suffer pain. Turn to this man and then painful. Turn to another one and pain. So pain, 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 pain. Till she turns towards her husband and she begins to walk. She goes, oh, this isn't painful. That's what was happening with Israel. 
We wonder, why, all, why did God allow all of this and all of that? Well, every, they, every time they turned, it caused them pain. There was judgment. There was a wiping out of a generation. There was, there was human sacrifice. There was, you're like, oh, this is disgusting. Everywhere they went to get their needs met outside of God's purpose and plan caused them pain. But it is a, what's called a hedge of thorns. It's a good prayer if you're a parent to pray over a wayward child. Lord, I pray that everywhere they turn to get their needs met outside of your purpose and will for their life, may it cause them pain so that they will turn and come back to you. But this was happening here. So this was, Hosea, go take Gomer. Renew Renew your covenant with her. But there's consequences for the nation of Israel. And I want to share them with you. Hosea 3, 4 says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince. In other words, they're going to be out of their land. They're going to be out of the covering. They're going to be out of, of anyone, of any authority. In other words, they, they are going to be subject to something and someone else. Without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. So what, what God is speaking over in the nation of Israel, there's going to come a time that they're going to be defeated. And we know it to be true. Historically, it's true. They'll be defeated by other armies. They will be enslaved. They will be taken away. They will no longer be in their own land. They will no longer be under, under their, their own leaders. But what many people don't understand when we read like a book of Hosea, and this is, this is, where, this is, this is where we come in. This is where you come in. Your story comes in. That these old covenant books have pictures in them. They're pointing to a greater reality. The book of Hosea displays both the holiness of God, but it also displays the heart of God. Remember, God has not forgotten the purpose of these people, the Jews. These people are from the lineage of Abraham. These people were chosen by God and he placed them within the borders of their nation. But he just didn't do it because of that. He didn't do it because, oh, I love my people. No. We cannot miss the heart of God. He set them aside, put them in a nation to preserve them and keep them. And he did all of that for the purpose of bringing forth the one who would not just offer salvation to Israel, but would offer salvation to the whole world. And so now, God begins to give a picture of how he's going to renew his covenant with Israel. Now, you've got to view this next passage with the understanding of God's view. Is God's view is reaching the nations of the world. It's not isolated in Israel and Abraham. God's purpose is all people. So look, Hosea begins to say, afterward, the children of Israel shall return. This is an event that hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. They're going to return and seek the Lord, their God. Wow. Then, Then it says this, and David, their king. David's dead. David died a while ago. They're like kingdom, way kingdoms past David. Huh. 
And they, so they under King David, that's, shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. When? In the latter days. Everybody say latter days. So there's a, there's a prophecy that says that the one who would come and undo the sin from, from Genesis and that God prophesies about, prophesies about in Genesis 3 that says, one will come from the seed of the woman who will crush the head of Satan. And then later there's a prophecy that says, one would come from, that, that, excuse me, that said that the, um, the throne of David, one from his lineage would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And what's happening here is God is giving a picture, a glimpse, a, a shadow of what's coming that he's bringing forth one from the line of David who's actually going to redeem Israel, who's going to also redeem all the nations of the world. David's dead. God is speaking about Jesus, our Messiah, right here in Hosea, who just didn't come for the Jews. He came for the whole world. He came for you. He came for your life. He came for your lineage. He came for every person on the planet. That's been the plan from the beginning. But he's found right here. Now listen, God speaks of the day in which he will make a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. God speaks of in Hosea. So now he's talking about the new covenant. So before, remember God, there was a wedding ceremony. I call it a wedding ceremony at Mount Sinai where God made his covenant known. And the children of Israel made their covenant known. Yes, we will be faithful. And so Hosea begins to describe what this renewal, what we know as the new covenant actually is like. It says, as I will allure her, speaking of Israel, and bring her into the wilderness. Now remember, he's still talking about the they, the they who will be, whose king is King David, which really they're talking about King Jesus. I will allure her. King Jesus, who hasn't come yet, though, just understand. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. In other words, where did the, the first marriage take place? It took place at Mount Sinai. I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor, which is trouble, a door of hope. <laughs> and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. Hmm. And at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt, and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me, look at this, you will call me husband. And no longer you're going to call me my Baal. In other words, the husband of their youth is going to be God again. There's a renewal of covenant. And no longer will you call me my Baal. You won't worship other gods. You won't give yourself to other things. You, you won't try to, for the children, nation of Israel, you won't try to find your, your righteousness in the law. At this point, it's talking, there's coming one who's, who's going to do all the work for you. Because obviously, you can't do anything yourself anyway. I will remove the names of Baal from her mouth. They shall be remembered by name no more. And here, friends, are these striking echoes of future salvation. 
the nation of Israel in the book of Hosea. They've made their bed. Judgment is coming to them. They're lost. They're depraved. They're filthy. They're re- they, they have rejected. They have cursed their only hope. God had every right to divorce Israel, just like Hosea had every right to, divo- to divorce Gomer. But in this book, we have pictures. And it isn't just looking at the children of Israel. God is looking at you and me and all of mankind. Remember the purpose of the nation of Israel is to bring forth the one, the Messiah. Remember Galatians 3.16. The promise of Abraham was not to the seeds, plural, but to the seed which is found in Jesus Christ alone. This King David on the throne is the blessing to the whole world. Jesus is coming, and he's coming to redeem both Jews and Gentiles by us putting our faith in Christ. And we have pictures. But here's the stark reality. I'm found in the book of Hosea, and so are you. We are like Israel. We are like Gomer. Until you understand this, you'll never understand the gospel. You were born like Gomer. Isaiah 53 says, like sheep, we all have gone astray. What that astray is we've all given our affections to someone other than God. That those affections were only reserved for God alone. And we say, I think I'll give them to something else. We were born, as Jeremiah says, as a heart that is Wicked. We were born like a whore, like Gomer. If you think, oh, that's not, no, I want, yes, you were. It's called, you were depraved. You had nothing good. You couldn't live your life righteously if you tried. You were corrupted by sin. God knew it. That's why he promised he would do something about it in Genesis chapter 3. All of us have gone gone our own way. Each of us has done our own thing. We're Israel. We're like Gomer. And then Hosea goes on to say, after the death of the nation, something's going to happen. After they're led away, after they're enslaved, after, after, after they become part of the kingdom of darkness, Something's going to happen. Now remember, God is moving to fulfill the promise from Genesis chapter 3. He would bring forth someone from the seed of the woman who would crush the head of Satan on humanity's behalf. Meaning he would break the power of sin and death on all of humanity. Remember, Jesus came as a Jew, yes. And his death on a cross and resurrection was for the renewal of the covenant with Israel, not the old covenant, but the new covenant, 
which is put your faith in Christ because you can't save yourself through the law because you fail and you turn to other gods. It's never worked. It never will. But now in the new covenant, he came to save them because he was a Jew. So he represented, he came as a representative of the Jew. He also came as a human. And so he represented all of humanity. And so all of humanity from the garden continued to rebel, to continue to worship other gods. There was an all-out fallen, excuse me, all-out spiritual war from the garden of fallen angelic beings, rebelling against God, deceiving mankind. And God himself said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make a way. I'm going I'm to bring them back to Eden eventually. So God himself, as I've already stated, but I want you to get it, chose his own people, marked them with his own name, put them in a land he marked with his own name for the purpose of fulfilling Genesis chapter three. And I'm gonna read you the next passage in Hosea. And let me tell you, let me ask you this question. I want, I want you to look for a second. Do you see Jesus in this next passage, Hosea chapter six, where God's talking about renewing of the covenant. How's he gonna do it? Come, it says this is what's happened after they've died. And now there's gonna be a call to humanity and Israel. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us. Oh man, he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Look, after two days, after two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, whoo, he will raise us up that we may live before him. The third day, Jesus was buried. He bore all sin. On, now look, look, on, listen, after two days, he's going to revive us, but on the third day, in other words, he's going to pay the penalty, he's going to pay the price, but there's going to come a third day, he will be raised up, and that day we are going to live before him. We're going to be in his presence. We're going to be able to fellowship with him. Don't tell me, God, the Bible isn't stinking cool. This is awesome. Jesus is the message of the Bible. Don't tell me it's something else. That's ludicrous. The heart of God is saving all of mankind, all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and recognize I am nothing, I am depraved, I am Gomer, I am a whore, that's who I am. I am filthy, but you, God, can make me holy and new and you will allure me again into the wilderness. Jesus came as a representative of depraved, fallen humanity. And God sent him. And that's why we celebrate today the new covenant. Just read, I'll just give you a couple scriptures from the New Testament that confirm Hosea. 1 Corinthians 15, he was buried that he was, excuse me, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, real quick, just want to remind you, Paul wasn't writing this as he's reading other New Testament scriptures. He's reading the Old Testament. So what scriptures is he talking about? Hosea. This is, listen, Hosea was this prophetic echo regarding Jesus, regarding you. 
regarding me. Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's in the context of, hey man, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In other words, the church is Jesus' bride. Well, when did that happen? It happened on the cross. It happened in his resurrection, but it was written about in the book of Hosea when he would lead her away. Come, let us return unto the Lord. Second Corinthians 11, Paul's writing to the church. He goes, I promised you to one husband to Christ. Friends, Jesus has had you on his mind for a really long time. And we need to understand the beauty of the gospel. But until we can fully allow that to penetrate our, the core of our souls and our hearts, we have to realize, unlike Gomer, and all the disdain that you have for the description of this, oh, I can't, I can't believe, how could she? Oh, what a filthy, that was you without Christ. But God sent his son And the, as it says that, that God allured them into the wilderness, his kindness, we know that it says that the kindness of, the scripture says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. We recognize it is not on my own. It's only God's kindness. <laughs> when God told Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to take of yourself, of your own funds, I want you to purchase her back. It's this picture. Jesus came to purchase mankind, not, not, with, not with shekels and wheat, but with something so much more pressure, precious. It was about money, but with the blood of his own son, God purchased us back. God renewed his covenant with us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were not your own. You were bought with a price. In other words, God came and found. God came and found. He came to where we were. He sent his son to where we were in the dark alleys of our whoredom. He came to us. Jesus then paid the price of our release with his own blood. He then brought us into the house of Father God and we could be with him. First Peter says, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, how beautiful. How beautiful. This is why we keep the Bible at the center of our lives. In the Bible, contrary to some popular belief, we are not the hero. Jesus is. 
You're not the hero of your story. You're not the provider of yourself. Matter of fact, your life doesn't even belong to you. You're not the broker of your gifts and your talents. You're not the owner of your checking account. You were bought with a price. And Jesus came to the darkest place and he rescued you. And God had it planned all along. Your name on his mind as he paid the price for your sin, carrying the cross you deserved. Isaiah 53 says, the punishment that I deserved was upon him. And his punishment was so much, as Isaiah 53 says, that it was like men would hide their faces. The punishment that you actually deserved, you can't even fathom. What Jesus bore in his own body, they couldn't even look at it. It was so gruesome. But the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He made a way. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's so extravagant. It's so ridiculous. It feels so reckless. This understanding of God's love, it, it's, it's, it was the foundation of there was a... a um, a song written a while ago called Reckless Love. And the, the religious people ripped it apart because well, it's not reckless. That's, that's, that's not, you know, it needs to be, God's love is, is purposeful. No, he's saying it's, it seems reckless. Why would God love me? He's holy, he's righteous, he's good, he's like Hosea. Why would, why, why would he come to me? It seems reckless. Use that love on someone that deserves it. God said, I'm gonna use it on you. And to us, it seems reckless, but to God, it is purposeful. That's why he came, was for you. Isaac Watts wrote this song in the 1600s. And he says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and, I, and it pours contempt on all my pride. In other words, it's not about you. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. As a matter of fact, all of us are guilty of, of the same punishment. Listen, your sin is not, not as bad as someone else. Forget it. You are depraved to the core without Jesus. The next verse is, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from, from his head, to his hands, to his feet, sorrow and love flow and they mingle down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich crown? His dying crimson blood, like a robe, spreads over his body on the tree. Then I am dead 
to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present. If I owned everything, it was a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands, demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's stand to our feet. If we can, just bow our heads for a moment. If you're here today and you recognize that you do not know God through putting your faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to make that covenant with him, you want to come into agreement with his love towards you, if that's you today, and you want to repent of your sins and be saved, nobody's looking around. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Hold it up. Thank you. Hold it up. Keep it. Hold it up. Thank you. Bless you. Amen. You put your hands down. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that just acknowledges what I've just, what the Bible has just showed us. And let's all pray it together. Say, God, I recognize I am sinful. I have sinned against you. I have gone my own way. I have worshiped other idols. The life that you gave me, I've used for other things. And I repent. And I turn my affections to you. I receive your forgiveness. Cleanse me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I put my faith in you. And I believe today you've cleansed my heart. You've given me a new start. I belong to you now. Do with me whatever you want. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. Church, I love you. I'm grateful for you. If you want prayer, at the end of service, we'd be honored to pray with you. If you want to drop off your missions cards when you leave, you can do that. But before you leave, just lift your hands. I want to pray a blessing over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your people. Your people, purchased by your blood. God bless them. Lead them and guide them. Restore to them everything the enemy has stolen, but restore to them what sin has stolen from their lives. May you restore the relationships. May you restore their finances. May you give them your blessing. But God, the greatest gift may they leave here today is an overwhelming sense of your love and what you've done for them through your son, Jesus. Bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Bless you.